You're listening to the HR Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Trish McFarlane. Today's show is with a wonderful guest, Sarah Morgan, who is the founder at Buzz A. Rooney LLC, also of the Black Blogs Matter and Black Pods Matter hashtags on Twitter, and someone who is just a known expert in the field of not just human resources, but even more specifically, within diversity and inclusion. She's an influencer, a practitioner, a leader, and more personally, just a really good friend of the show, really good friend to me, um, and I've known her for many years. So I'm excited to bring you today's episode. It was actually such a wonderful full conversation that we are breaking this into two separate episodes, and we do hope that you will enjoy episode one today. Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. You are here today with Trish McFarlane. Steve Bowes is currently out on assignment, but I have a great show here for you this afternoon. I am very excited to bring on my guest in just a moment. Um, before that, though, I would like to give a quick shout out to all of the great episodes that have been posted recently on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. We have shows out there, of course, from Steve and I, but also from our other host, Madeline Lerano, with her um, show, and then George LaRocque as well, giving us some insights into the overall uh, HCM industry and a lot of the investments that are going on in the space. So be sure to check those out, as well as I have heard that Steve has been aggressively making episodes of the HR Happy Hour on Alexa. So again, for those who are not familiar, it is a two to three minute show on your Alexa device. Um, So you can just go to your skills and add that as your flash news briefing and have daily updates there as well. So with that said, um, I wanna go ahead and bring my guest onto the show. Today we have Sarah Morgan. Um, For anyone who is not familiar with Sarah, she is a very big influencer in the human resource industry right now. Um, You can find her all over the place, but um, she's actually the Chief Excellence Officer at Buzzaroonie. And I would like to say hello to Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trish. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is the first time I've ever done HR Happy Hour. All these years that I've been following and listening to the show and connected with you both. So I'm excited to be here. Good. It's crazy. It's funny because there are so many different shows out there. And I I find that we listen to each other. A lot of us listen to Uh each other. And we don't wind up as guests on the show. So no. And then it's like, I think, and then you've listened to it for so much and we've interacted in so many other ways and you're like, for real, I've never done that before. And so the next thing you know, here we are. So I'm glad to be here today. Thank you. Yes. No. And uh, yeah, you're right. I I definitely think like I'm that way too, with even just social media on LinkedIn, I'll think like, oh, I'm connected to that person. I've known them for 10 years and then we're not even connections on LinkedIn. So Mm -hmm. it does happen. Well, anyway, welcome to the show. Why don't we spend just a few minutes? I know you are, um, you're someone I've admired for a long time because you're, you don't even uh, just have sort of that influencer title, right? Which, which is so elusive to to get sometimes, but you're an actual practitioner. You've worked for Mm -hmm. many years um, doing consulting with major corporations. Um, So if you could just maybe give a little bit of, of the background to the listeners so they get to know you a little bit better. Thank you. So again, my name is Sarah Morgan. Um, I have been in human resources now for 20 years, which is hard for me to believe. I started at birth. It's hard for me to believe and say that out loud. 
Can um, I just tell you, if Steve were here, he would tell you that once it hits 15, like his rule is he never tells anyone. He'll say like 15 plus because 15 he doesn't plus. want to sound old. Yeah. I'm always like, oh, I want credit for every Oh no, I need every single year. year. I'm going to be like 27 and a half. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get credit for every single year. Yeah. But I've been in, in human resources for two decades. And um, as a practitioner, I started my career as a, as a recruiting coordinator and eventually moved to a recruiter and then a generalist role. And I spent many years in, in generalist um, spaces before moving into the director seat. And now I am currently the head of HR for a national retail services organization based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. In addition to that, um, I started a blog about nine years ago and the buzz on HR. And that was what started kind of my me in the HR influencer and social space. My blog grew. Um, I started getting invited to speak and um, to consult with organizations, and then I had to pay taxes. So I started an LLC. Um, and Buzzaroonie LLC, Buzzaroonie was my childhood nickname. When I first started blogging, that was my pen name, was Buzz A. Rooney. So that was how you and I met, was when I was still Buzz A. Rooney. And after about three years of writing under a pen name, I changed jobs. My new job was not afraid of me being online and talking about human resources and the work that I do. So I retired my pen name. Um, but I, when I started my company officially in 2018, I wanted to honor that part of me, that curious little girl that buzzed around and, and was getting into everybody's business and asking all the inconvenient, curious questions. And um, also wanted to honor my dad, who had passed away not too long before that, and had given me that nickname. So it was a way to, to acknowledge both of those. And as the Chief Excellence Officer of Buzzaroonie, I do consulting for small and startup businesses to create inclusive and equitable workplace culture. So that's really my focus, is working with them on creating healthy workplace cultures, setting up their compensation programs so that they're equitable, creating benefits programs and perks programs and, and total wellness programs that are fair and equitable and, and serving the entire population of, of these companies as they are starting out and looking to grow. Because if they start from that foundation, then they can, can build upon that in an environment that already has those fundamentals down pack. And I love being able to, to do that work. And I still do writing um, and I still do a lot of speaking. I have my own podcast, the Leading in Color podcast, which I've been doing for the last year and a half. Um, and I'm doing coaching also, working with human resources professionals and women who are looking to level up in their careers. And we'll talk some more about the, the work I'm doing around that a little later. And when I'm not doing all of those things, I am a wife and a mom with a blended family of five kids. So there is never a dull moment um, in my life. And a dog, we got a dog, so we in a dog. And what, what type of dog you have to share? She is a Shih Tzu um, and she's six months old and her name is Luna and we call, we add all kinds of, she's Luna May. Luna Bell, 
lunatic. Sometimes we had all kinds of we had all kinds of little extra. She gets all kinds of different extra middle names depending on how she's behaving that day. But she's adorable and just a sweet little puppy. And so we've been talking about doing that for a while. And with everybody being actually home and not in you know here and there and everywhere with activities, we were slowed down enough that we actually could bring an animal into the house. So here she is. Wow. So that is. A lot. First yeah. of all, um, I'll, I'll go a little bit in reverse order. I mean, having a puppy is like a baby, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. I think having everyone at home to help with that, I've definitely tried to do that at different times in my life um, without that. And it's very difficult. It's so. very difficult. And with the kids being involved in so many activities and things, we just never felt like it made sense. Yeah. Um, now that we've again, everybody's home. We don't, the activities have slowed down tremendously. We have much more time. So every, and we were like, all right, if we're going to do it, now's the, now's the time to, to do it and let the dog get used to potty training and being home and all of that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Good. Well, six months old, I mean, that's when they kind of start getting things figured out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't had like with the, the only real rough spot that we have is bedtime. She does not want to, because we're crate training and she don't want to go in that crate. She wants to lay on the couch and be in the rooms (laughs) with the kids and wander and no, it's bedtime, night, night, Luna, it's time for bed. So yeah, we're, that's the struggle is getting her to actually go to sleep. Yeah, we went through that too. I have two that are crate trained and I get asked a lot. Actually, people that come over are surprised because I think a lot of people do let the pets wander at night and mine are old enough now. I think they could probably mm-hmm. say, you know, without messing things up, but really I, I like to think it's, it's a safe place for them too. You yeah. know, it's more like a den. The two of them get in there together and just mm-hmm. lay down all cuddled in their blankets and, and go to sleep. So yeah, it's, it works. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it works. And it's their private little space too. Like they, they, because sometimes they don't want to be around humans either. So So they're like, I've had, yeah, I've had enough of y'all today. I'm putting myself to bed and leave me alone. Yeah. My older dog will do that. Yeah. He absolutely does. He'll go down and and we have like a little gate. He'll stand by the gate when he's ready. Like, I'm ready. (laughs) I love that. He he tells us when it's bedtime now. So um, (laughs) we've got there with that puppy. (laughs) Yes. That's the goal. Well, good. Well, you know what? The thing that always, um, strikes me. And as you, I I like to have you describe your, your bio yourself, because I think, you know, you put things in that might not be called out specifically in in a printed biography, for example, but you know, there are so many similarities to the way that our careers started. So starting as a recruiting coordinator, and then Mm -hmm. I got into uh, being a recruiter myself, and then eventually into a generalist and director and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you've been also sort of in the influencer side of things for about the same amount of time uh, as I have too. You know, we're, we're at least a decade into yeah. that. And, and I can remember, I think if I'm not mistaken, I can't keep track of everyone, but I thought we met maybe at like um, an HR, Illinois Sherm. It was Illinois Sherm was Illinois? and then HR Florida. I HR Florida after the, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, yeah, we're talking at least eight or nine years ago, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. when this was all kind of new. I guess my question for you is this, because we have had a pretty similar path to becoming, you know, uh, more consultants, mm-hmm. um, people who are sought out for their advice, mm-hmm. um, but raised as practitioners very much. Um, 
you know, we both started blogs. We both eventually wound up having podcasts and, and, you know, events as we're going to talk about here in in just a little bit with, Mm -hmm. with what you have going on. I'm wondering, do you think that HR professionals who might be listening to this now, do they have those same opportunities or have you given any thought to, do you think that path is different to, um, to their career? Do you still see value in kind of the way that we approached it? Because I, yeah. I'll be honest, mine was not planned. I think mine was no, very accidental with mm-hmm. the, the way that social media was, was going at the time. But I wonder, do you see that this is an actual maybe path to consulting or path to advising? I definitely think it still is. And I know that there are a lot of folks who are like, oh, the path that, the, you know, it's so saturated, but I don't think that that's true. Social media is really the great equalizer, as far as I'm concerned, for being able to chart your own course in whatever it is that, that interests you. And if that's human resources and you're looking for ways to build your network and to grow your career, I absolutely think that that there's still tons of opportunity there because you and I, you know, thinking back 10 years ago when we were doing social media teams and, um, you know, a lot of um, blog, you know, panels and, and, you know, blog work and those sorts of things, we're not doing that anymore, but there are still very much organizations out there who need you know, that kind of work to be done. And so there's, you know, lots of ways that you can can plug yourself in and find exposure. I think as long as you're speaking from your level of experience and your level of, of expertise, you are going to find people at your level who want to partner and engage with you. And you are going to find people at the levels just under you who can learn from what it is that you have to share. And so I definitely think that for me, I never would have grown my network to look like what it looks like now if I hadn't gotten involved in social media. I'm far too introverted to make that happen. Um, So being able to do a Twitter chat where I don't actually, where I can talk to people but I don't actually have to interact with them, the questions are given to me. Oh my gosh, it was wonderful, you know, for me to be able to engage that way and build a relationship with individuals so that when I did see them in person, there was already a connection there. But ask me to just walk into a room and go up to a stranger and strike a conversation, it is not happening. Like I will, I go, you know, if I go to events and I don't already know people, it is painful for me to to have to, you know, strike up conversation and, and that sort of thing. So I would have never built my network to look like it looks because it, it's just not in my personality. It makes me far too uncomfortable and anxious to try. So it, it definitely is, is an alternative path. Um, when I, it's funny now, I get a lot more work locally here in North Carolina and in the Raleigh area and people are stunned and they're like, how have we never met you before? How have we not? <laughs> Like, how have you been here all this time? I've been in North, I've lived in North Carolina for 10 years. Like, how have you lived here all this time? And and we don't see you at meetings and we don't, mm-mm, you're not going to see me because I'm much more comfortable behind my computer. And again, I would rather build those relationships ahead of time than walk into a place blind. So, but I definitely would say for practitioners, if you have an interest in that, the opportunity is absolutely 
still there. There's tons of activity happening on LinkedIn, tons of activity still happening on Twitter, tons of even Instagram and Facebook. You know, there are groups there. There's lots of opportunity for you to be able to express yourself, put your stamp on things as an expert and find your path to influence for sure. Yeah, I agree. And thank you for really talking about it from an introvert's perspective. I'm, I'm not an introvert. Um, I didn't, I had little ones, which I know your kids are around. Mm -hmm. We have kids around the same age. And for me, getting on social media was a little bit of a job necessity, first and foremost, because I was, I was creating a corporate university at the time um, within my company and needed to be able to teach courses on it or craft Mm -hmm. courses on it. And so I was a little bit uh, doing it for that reason. But also my children were three when I really got heavily involved in Mm -hmm. social media, especially Twitter. And I feel like it was harder then, you know, um, the, the tool itself has expanded in such a way that it's much easier to find other HR professionals. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like 10, 11, 12 years ago, it was a little bit harder. Um, for me, it just opened up the door to, I I wasn't able to go to a lot of in-person events to network in St. Louis because I had little ones. So I was very happy to do it online. And I really feel like, and I think you would probably agree it just opens you up to meeting people that you would never have access to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that be corporate executives now that are on social media or, you know, many of the people at the time who were very high level um, in uh, SHRM Mm -hmm. and CIPD and other HR organizations. Um, And so for me, it was really like, wow, these are real people behind these positions. It made, I I loved, I wrote it down when you said it's the great equalizer. It is because I felt like I was a director level at the time. And I felt like I could have a conversation with, you know, someone who was fresh out of college or with a CEO just Mm -hmm. as easily on Twitter. Just as easily. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people I find that are on social media, there are quite a few who who are maybe lurkers who just want to read or listen, which is completely Mm -hmm. wonderful, obviously. Um, but there are a number of people who really do engage and I hadn't really thought about them being introverts, but when you said that in my head, I'm like ticking through people that I know prefer the online, uh, medium as opposed Mm -hmm. to in person for that reason, they're much more reserved. I would say though, do you think that it helps you if you are introverted? I know, you know, you said it makes you more comfortable. Do you find that it's developed you at all in terms of that comfort level? I feel, um, a, I can say that person? I feel a little bit more comfortable when I am in person um, now than I, you know, than I did 10 years ago. I can walk into okay. spaces and, and at least with the, the people immediately to my left and my right full, you know, north, south, east and west, you know, yeah. I can at least make sure that I connect with those individuals and find ways to talk with them and share my, you know, share my expertise. It's weird because now so often when I go to events, I'm speaking, or I'm some, you know, somehow other involved in, in organizing it. It's been probably three years, I can say, since I've gone to an event, just to be an attendee. I don't even know what that feels like. And when I went, it felt so foreign. And at one point, um, one of the panelists at the event recognized me and called me out and was like, ask her, cause she knows, cause she does this. And then the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm just here, rep- yeah. you know, I'm just here for the job, enjoy, you know, just enjoying <laughs> this thing. And the next thing you know, it's, it's a thing. 
So it's rare, you know, that I get to just be a regular attendee and consume things that way. So I know when I'm going to stuff, I have to turn on and I can, you know, nap and introvert out later. That's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I never really think about people who are introverts being so comfortable on stage. You look very comfortable on stage. So I do think it's a really interesting way that a lot of people have used social media for self-development Yes, in our own careers, for real career development. Because often in human resources, in talent acquisition, the recruiting dollar, I mean, the training dollars are not there for those mm-hmm. employees. At least mm-hmm. that was my experience. And so it, I've used it very much as a way to develop myself over the yeah, years. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a great. It's a great opportunity to learn about different webinar and webinars and seminars and conferences. I've attended more conferences outside of my state, you know, to maintain my my certification credits and things than I have inside of my state because of the connections that I've made. And when people will ask me, I one of the ladies on my team said, you know, um, she's in an entry-level position, but she's like, I really want to get involved. I really, I've I've budgeted $1,000 for myself Mm -hmm. to be able to do this. And what do you recommend I do? And I'm like, here's the places you can go (laughs) to get the best bang, you know, for your conference dollar buck and tell so-and-so that I sent you and they're going to take care of you. You know, I try to make sure that I do um, things like that. But yeah, with speaking, I wasn't, I've been obviously introverted my whole life. And my mom recognized that when I was very young. So she put me into acting classes. So I approach speaking events very much like I would a play where in my mind, I am in costume and I am in, you know, and I'm here to deliver this, this thing. Um, and that thing in, in the moment is me, but it is very, it, there, it's very otherworldly to me. My husband to, does not believe me, but because he's gone to events with me when I've done stuff nearby enough for him to come. Right. And he's like, you're a completely different person. And when it's over, I don't even remember what happened. If there was no video, I couldn't tell you what I said or what I did. There, it's that it's about two minutes before I have to step on stage that I turn it. And from the moment that I step on until I step off, I'm, I'm, it's, I understand, like, I remember Beyonce being like, I turned into Sasha Fierce yeah. when I'm on stage. <laughs> and I understood what she meant by that immediately. It's a completely different thing. And I can't, I don't even know, you know, I have to give that person another name. I don't even know what she's doing out there. Cause me, regular old me is, would be in tears if you let it left to my own devices. But it was years. I went in when I was six years old and was there until I finished high school. And I did debate in high school and mock trials. So all of these things that forced me to be in front of crowds and speak in front of people yeah. were things that I was naturally drawn to. But it, the, you know, just that, that speaking, public speaking anxiety and all that that brings is, was always there and still is. You know, I think that's a great um, example of, of something people can can do if they have that fear. Because no matter what career you're in, it always helps if you are able to speak in front of your peers, in front of, you know, possibly external customers, clients, whatever the case might be. Um, I love that you took acting classes and that you've done it for so long because, mm-hmm. again, it, it's not so much an introvert extrovert thing. I actually have done that as well. I found um, even in the last, say, five, six years, maybe, um, master class 
yeah, uh, yeah. offers the masterclass.com. I do all sorts of courses just to help with viewing this as a performance, right? Yes. When you're, when you're mm -hmm. on stage in front of people delivering material. Um, so I've done many of the acting classes or even some of the musical classes like, uh, you know, Usher has one on performing, mm -hmm. um, you know, so again, yes, he's a musician, but if I love the idea that you're taking acting classes and being able to um, apply those lessons. The skills that you learn are, are somewhat universal. And there's um, a lot of the um, community colleges have public speaking type of courses. Um, people are, you know, talk about Toastmasters, but there's a cost to that. Not everybody, you know, can afford that, but a, a lot of the community colleges are doing that, you know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. And so much easier to, you know, scrape that together. Um, I know that there are some of the theaters that will do improv workshops and things like that. Those are great. They're also great for critical thinking um, and, and that whole teamwork thing, because with with you've got to lean into whatever starts the moment if someone says we're in a car and you go no we're on a plane the, the scene's over it's ruined so you've got it teaches you very much how to like flow in things and to be creative in that moment and again how to be comfortable talking and stuff so those sorts of, of skills are great to hone and develop um when when you're when you're trying to perfect the way that you talk with people publicly. And that's gonna help you whether you're presenting to your, you know, your boss and your peers. Mm -hmm. I know those of us in HR, we have to do employee communication meetings right. and those sorts of things. Like if there's a power that comes from being able to stand in front of people, command an audience, demonstrate your expertise and don't give that up. Um, especially, you know, we talk about HR and the whole seat at the table argument, which we all hate, but it's still true, you know, and it's still a reality for so many of the practitioners out there. So when you have, you know, those opportunities, I like don't let the fear of, of those things um, stop you from doing that. Don't relegate that to someone else and miss your moment to, to demonstrate, you know, your knowledge and expertise. It's something that you can develop and work on. Yeah, that's a great point um, about not not giving that away because I think those people that again, regardless of what your job is, if you can embrace that fear and just do it anyway, mm -hmm. um, there's something very powerful about about having confidence in yourself. And I know I wrote down, you know, you were talking about um, you know embracing both your your level of experience and and just expertise, right? And to mm -hmm. speak from that, and so. I think too, it doesn't matter if you're very junior and young in your career, or if you've been very seasoned and you still want, you know, maybe to achieve more or have a different perception of you at work. I think those are all very achievable, um, mm -hmm. but it comes from having confidence or at least coming across like you have confidence, even if, right. you, even if maybe you don't, because, you know, many of us, uh, there's not a time I'm like you, when I get on stage, I don't, I don't write down what I'm going to say. I have a general mm -hmm. idea of my storyline right. right in my head but it's not anything I've practiced or rehearsed. And a lot of things come out in the moment because I'm feeding off of the energy okay, of the crowd, mm -hmm. of the group. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder too, and I want to get into uh, your, your podcast too, because I know that's just another way that you're using that voice and that influence yeah. and that expertise. But I guess one last question, just kind of on this topic to put a bow on it is, you know, now we are working from home a lot of people, we are not going to have those opportunities maybe to be in front of a crowd in person for a while. Have you given 
thought yet to maybe how to get that energy. Um, and maybe this is a question for, for later on, because I know we're going to also, uh, before we close, we'll talk about your um, HROI summit. So maybe mm-hmm. that's, if I'm, if I'm jumping the gun a little bit, we can postpone, but have you, have you given thought to that around sort of another way to fulfill that energy that we lose by not being in person? It's very tough. Um, you know, and we've been in this pandemic for a few months now. Um, people, Zoom fatigue is real. The last time you and I talked, I think we were comparing notes and I think you had done like seven and I had done like nine Zoom calls. And I mean, it's just ridiculous the amount and, and the drain that that puts on you um, to, you know, being in front of a computer screen and with video. It's something about that that just is different than interacting with a person in, in real life and being in a room with a person in real life. And so you're seeing people just much more readily turning their cameras off and um, in a lot of cases, just going back to regular old phone calls. Like, can we just talk on the phone, you know, and whether that's, yeah. yeah, so that I can can either multitask or I just can't do the screen anymore. I still think, though, there's a lot of opportunity to um, have interaction, you know, with that. Um, you know, those, you know, you can uh, virtual meetings and communications if, if, gathering everyone together, you know, you can record on Zoom and share that through, you know, a Google Drive or things like that. So there are still ways to connect people. Um, I hope that organizations are having a lot of conversations with their employees, and I hope that HR is having conversations with their employees about where their mental health stands, Mm -hmm. um, how, whether or not they are feeling fatigued, and what to do to gain rest when you can't stop, because that's true for so many of us. Like as much, you know, as much as we'd all like to shut everything down and, and turn off, we really can't. Um, what what to do when you're just sick of being at home? You know, um, you're working from home, you're living there. You may or may not necessarily like the people <laughs> that are in that house oh, with you. That's true. And um, and even if you do, you might just need a break from them. And how do you, you know, find that? So I hope that we're having some of those conversations as we're going into the fall. And it's looking likely with flu season, we're going to see some measures of, of closures and shutdowns and continued work from home and, and those sorts of things um, as regular flu season comes on top of what's happening with COVID. Um, because I really think that that's going to be essential when you look at what I've done for me is I, I read a lot. Um, and when I can't figure things out, I, I generally will go to historical text. So I've been reading a lot about the 1920s pandemic and what they did. And granted, we've made a lot of technological advances since then, but humans are still humans. And the way that we human um, isn't vastly different than it was 100 years ago. And so looking at what happened then and now and looking at what's happening now, we're repeating a lot of the same patterns and, and they did the same thing we did. You know, they went in for probably about six or seven weeks, curve started to flatten. They were like, great, everything's good. And then they went back out, everybody got sick again, they had to go back in. Um, the fall for them was very, very bad. They were in masks from 1918, so I want to say 1922, 
in, in most public places. So, you know, the, if now again, we've made technological advances, so the, it seems more likely that we'll be able to find vaccines and treatment plans and those sorts of things because we just have more resources to do so. But we, it, you know, buckling up for 2020 till 2022 is not out of the realm of possibilities. And so knowing that, knowing that everything that we know and believe to be normal is gonna stay disrupted and what that does to you psychologically and physiologically. Um, and just being in tune with that as leaders and then figuring out how to create pockets of normalcy mm -hmm. and how to seize some of the things in this moment that are different um, to take advantage of that and, and have a little, have some fun, find, find some respite is gonna be really important for organizations to stay stable and for those you know who were growing to, to continue to see some measure of growth. Yeah, you make great points. I think you're right. That's area of well-being is going to be just critical for these organizations to be thinking about because I, I completely agree. I don't see this being uh, anything different next year. Um, you know, we're going to keep having these, like you said, times of you know being a little more relaxed about it, and then all of a sudden more people get sick and. And we're starting to see that already. I think you're right for the fall. Um, where I live here in Illinois, we're one of, I think it's six counties um, that they're talking about putting back into phase two, mm. just because the the numbers are increasing every single day and it's on a trend. So, um, and I'm hearing other states are having similar things right yeah, now. Yeah, we're people are so upset here because our, our gyms and, and facilities still have not gyms and churches still have not opened and that's the thing that people are in North Carolina the Raleigh area that's what they're expressing the most mm -hmm. frustration about restaurants are I think at like 50 percent capacity um and still doing a lot of you know curbside and takeout um our schools are slowly reopening so they've come up with an alternative schedule, but um, the churches and, and um, gyms are, have not been able to reopen. And that's been, you know, tough on people. It's the, again, it's the places that you normally go sure. to get respite, to shake the stress off, to recenter yourself and to not have access to those things for long periods of time um, in the way that that's become normal to you. It's hard. It's hard on people. And so we just have to be continue to be mindful of that and look for ways to support, you know, our employees and that psychological safety mm -hmm. um, and mental wellness, you know, is, is mm -hmm. going to be the next, really the next frontier in workplaces. Um, because, you know, people that that psychological safety piece is key to inclusion and belonging. Mm -hmm. And that mental wellness is, is, is the key to everything else our ability to be productive, our ability to be stable and, and to perform. Um, so we've got to look, start looking at things much more holistically than I think we've, we've had to do in the past. And the pandemic is, is bringing all of that to the forefront um, in ways that we hadn't considered before and, and forcing us to make some decisions. I've enjoyed it because I think it forces organizations to be much more kind to employees in terms of accommodating things. It is very difficult in the midst of this pandemic to tell people 
that they can't work from home and they can't have flexible schedule and they can't take, you know, breaks and time off and, and those sorts of things. Um, and so I think it's forcing organizations and leaders to look at the way that they were managing before and why is it that they were so rigid in the things um, that they were doing before and hopefully move away from from that rigidity because and and move into something that where it's possible because i know that it's not possible in all positions so i don't you know i don't say that as a blanket but i think it's it is possible for us to be much more graceful and kind in how we treat people in the workplace than what we've done in the past and i think this pandemic has thrust that in our faces and um, I'm enjoying watching organizations find creative ways to help people and I'm enjoying watching the ones that are continuing to be rigid kind of suffer the consequences of those inhumane choices um, that there's a, there's justice in that and and I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. I think too, one of the things she had to say something good came out, out of a pandemic, but I do think there are some several things that are positive. And one is that the leaders are going through this as well, right? Mm -hmm. They're having the same struggles, the same maybe mental challenges and physical challenges with it and with their families. And um, I do think right now, even myself, I'm two days into, you know, here in Illinois, our, our students are fully remote. Mm -hmm. um, school started this week. So we are on, you know, day, uh, today is day three. Mm -hmm. And already with high schoolers, it's very stressful in the mm -hmm. home <laughs> and not because of anything in particular. But again, I think as, as leaders go through this as well, um, hopefully they have no choice but to be more empathetic with their employees, with their team members, because you do need flexibility. And yeah. you know, we were talking before we started this recording, it's like, you know, I, my, my internet wasn't cooperating because I had two other, you know, two children on zoom yeah. and I'm supposed to have capabilities that I just, I don't have. So yeah. you, it, it's going to take a little bit of juggling and understanding, like you said, to have that sort of sense of stability within your, mm -hmm. within your workforce again. So, and the thing we have to realize as we're evaluating and people who are working from home is that everyone is dealing with strained resources. Mm -hmm. These are not normal work from home circumstances. So we can't right. use this as the litmus test for whether or not remote work is, you know, a good and, and possible thing. If I was working from home in normal circumstances, my kids would be at school, my husband would be at school, and I would probably just be there, me and the dog and the Wi-Fi, <laughs> you know, by right. ourselves. Yeah, right. And instead it's me and, and four, four kids and a dog and a, like everybody is in here and doing their own thing. That's a whole, you know, that's a strain on time and resources and attention that I wouldn't have in, in normal circumstances. So you've got to, you know, be thinking about all that thing and just bringing your most like compassionate self to the forefront to be compassionate towards yourself and then to be compassionate towards other people um, and figuring out ways to get the work done without adding the stress of having people feel like you disapprove and like you're, you know, chronic, some kind of chronic underperformer because your Wi-Fi goes out because you've got seven people and 15 devices in your house. Like that, right. you know, those, <laughs> those, those, that's not indicative of who you are. That's the circumstance. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, this is a perfect, uh, perfect moment to take a pause, do a reset here. You are listening to the HR happy hour. I am Trish McFarland. We are here with my guest, Sarah Morgan. Um, but I want to at least mention and thank our sponsors. Um, and one in particular, uh, definitely applies to what Sarah and I have just been speaking about. Um, work human is a sponsor of the HR happy hour and, um, they have introduced what's called Mood Tracker, which is a free modern voice of the employee tool built by their data scientists, making it fast, easy, and actionable to get to the heart of organizational issues. And you can learn more at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. I can tell you we use it here at H3, um, definitely to monitor as our moods are going up and down, as um, just having a pulse on your organization, I think is... Yeah is really practical. And the fact that they're, you know, giving it a free resource for people to get to know work human, I think is amazing. So I hope yep. people check that out. Um, we are also sponsored by our friends at Paychex, which is one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Paychex also hosts podcasts that our audience may find interesting. The HR Leadership Series provides insights around the latest trends in our profession, and it features a variety of expert guests and influencers, including Steve and myself. The Business Series features conversations with business owners and paychecks experts around the issues of the day, including the challenges that businesses are facing during the current pandemic. And you can listen and subscribe at paychecks.com podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. I'd also add that just Paychex has been doing so much, um, especially for small businesses who have had a really tough time during the pandemic with funding and, and maintaining payroll. And so they do have, um, and not just for small businesses, but um, midsize and, and enterprise as well, but on their website, you can go and they have a ton of free resources right now. So I would encourage our listeners to, um, to look at both WorkHuman and at Paychex for that. 